Well, um, it's Bergamo today. We're right down in the centre of Bergamo, and I'm about to uh, spring a surprise on on Matt. We're just having a coffee and doing our prep. Uh, Matt, uh, do you know much about Midsummer Night's Dream? I don't. I'll be honest with you. No, I don't. Oh, fair enough. Um, you know it's a Shakespeare play. Oh yes, I do know it's a Shakespeare play. But uh, and I know there's uh, is there an imp in it or like a little fairy in it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Puck. Puck. Puck the fairy. Yeah. yeah. There's another character in Midsummer Night's Dream called Bottom, which is obviously funny. Um, Bottom gets um, Puck actually transforms Bottom into a donkey. Uh, right. It gets donkey's ears. Okay. But Bo- Bottom is the lead actor in in what's called the Mechanicals, and they're a group of. Uh, working-class chaps who put on a play for the aristocracy at the end when it, or there's a big festival at the end and everyone's or everything's resolved okay. between this sort of like the lovers that you know who get kind of like lost in the forest and never but they all find each other at the end and then these characters these mechanicals put on a, a play a tragedy of Pyramus and Thisbe for the royal court who, who like sit there and mock them because they can't act very well okay. and all this sort of thing and bottom is the the the, 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 the slightly pig-headed well actually donkey-headed um, lead character in that um, and uh, but the, the reason I mentioned Shakespeare and Midsummer Night's Dream is there's an ongoing debate, I think, in the academic world as to whether or not Shakespeare ever visited Italy. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay, and, and well, is that to do with not writing all of his stuff as well, or is that kind of different? Oh, well, it's probably, probably, yeah, there's a lot of shrouded in mystery, isn't yeah. it? Shrouded in mystery. But um, he wrote, you know, a lot of his, a lot of his plays are set in Italy. Romeo and Juliet set in Verona. You yep. know, he, he, he seems to know a lot about Italy in quite some detail. And, and Bergamo in particular, he, he knows that there's a, um, the local dance is the Bergamasque, okay. which is a part of the festival here, a traditional festival. Yeah, the Bergamasque mask dance, is, um, as the name suggests, they're masked, and there's like clownish figures. Is that what the Setamana Bergamasca is called that? Is it the week of... Because that's a race that's held around here. Well, I think I think that's just that's the Italian Ber- Bergama- right. Ber- right, okay. Bergamasca. Actually, it's got nothing to do with mask, has it? No. Forget that. That's no. just transliteration. I was just that was too obvious. Yeah, but that just means Bergama. The week's the Bergamask week the, from Bergama. Um, so no, forget the mask thing. But anyway, the the, um, the dance is full of sort of um, clownishness. Yeah. Right, which uh, the Bergamask. Yeah. We <laughs> well, we're not. But inadvertently, we don't yeah. necessarily do it on purpose. We're just slightly inept, aren't we? Yeah. He also, um, in another play, he refers to the sailmakers of Bergamo, which seems like a, a kind of factual mistake, doesn't it? Because why would there be sailmakers? Bergamo is a long way from the sea. But actually, it's true. There was a sailmaking industry here um, uh, back in the day. So, yeah, so it does know in surprising detail. Um, but the Bergamask gets, gets mentioned at the back end of Midsummer Night's Dream when... Um, the, the tragedy of Pyramus and Thisbe has been performed already in front of Theseus, in front of the Duke, and Bottom turns to the Duke and he says, and here's, here's your part, um, do you want to have, just have a little read of this line? Uh, so, yeah, so it's in, in there, and, and, and it's part of Bottom. I, I think we just turn, so, okay. This is Bottom from Midsummer okay. Stream, as performed by Matt Stevens. And, and, and what kind of character was this? I was going to get into the role a little bit. What was it? You're, you're, you're a clumsy, you're a clucks of a man, you're, but you're quite arrogant. You, th- you back yourself as an actor, but you are also deferential because you're talking to the Lord, the Duke. Okay. Will it please you to see the epilogue or to hear a Bergamas dance between two of our company? No epilogue, I pray you, for your play needs no excuse, never excuse, for when the players are all dead, there needs none to be blamed. Marry, if he that writ it had played Pyramus and hanged himself in Thisbe's garter, it would have been a fine tragedy, and so it is. Truly and very notably discharged. But come, your Bergamask, let your epilogue alone.
I shouldn't have put you through that, really, Matt. I'm sorry. No, like Shakespeare, fine. I just sprung it on you, didn't I? Sorry about that. Well, I've, I've never uh, I've done a little bit of school, but never we've, we've had to read Shakespeare, at, but not I've not been in a play with Shakespeare. Uh, I did play Dr. Grimwig uh, in Oliver Twist did once. You? Yeah. What uh, character? What does he do? Um, it's a really short on and off part where. I don't know. I can't remember. I wore a top hat, uh, and, and I had um, bags under my eyes, uh, and, gr- and, gr- and a grey wig, and a suit. And it was a, it was a diagnosis. I think it was for um, somebody in the um, oh, in the where does Oliver Twist live with all the all the kids? What consider or- yourself? Yeah, at in the orphanage with all the kids. Yeah. Well, no, it's um, it's the old uh, oh. Fagin's. Uh, it's up den, isn't den, it? A den, den of iniquity, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, 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 well, yeah, school for thieves, isn't it? For pickpockets. Right, yeah. You've so, got uh, a pick a pocket or two. Boy, uh, you've got a bit of pocket or two. And <laughs> <laughs> I've also played, uh, oh, Ali Barber in Ali Barber and the 40 Thieves, lead. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it well received, critically? Uh, oh, it was packed. Uh, the uh, Ash- Ashfield School was absolutely packed for that uh, particular... Yeah, I really, I'm not a bad voice as a kid. Yeah. Um, what, singing? Oh, yeah. Voice, voice, vo- no, so just generally voice. One of the songs uh, was called Where Is Love? Well, that's from, Where that's for Oliver Twist. Oh, that, oh, f- yeah. oh damn, so I'm, I'm, I'm bringing Explicit episode. plays. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry. I nearly did a Where Is Love. Oh, that is but Oliver do Twist. Do it anyway, singing, I, think, it? I think our podcast listeners would like to hear that anyway. Where is love? Does it come from heaven above? Something like that, I think it, gets, it, it gets higher, doesn't it? I was, da, you could push... Da, 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 da. Was it his mother that sung it? Or was it Oliver? It's Oliver, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, Lionel Bart wrote it, didn't he, that one? I, I can't remember, but yeah. But anyway, I didn't, I didn't play Oliver. But it, I think it's... Yeah, I think you it's... Mr. Grim, Mid- Gringle, Gringlewitch or Mr. something. Mr. Grimwig. Grimwig. Do- Dr. Grimwig. Yeah. Uh, yes, that was the part I played. But yeah, um, yeah, my biggest role was 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 Alibaba, um, which was which has lived with me. Yeah. But uh, sorry, I don't know what, what we're, ta- we're talking about. Um, <laughs> stage fi- stage fifteen, Bergamo. Yeah. You you are like it's great. We've just arrived at the finish line here, which is just it's just starting to spit it's with rain. rain. I'm actually just move over. I just can I sit in that chair over there because my notes. Yeah. I think I'm getting the dry. Actually, um, my notes are. We're just on the fringes of a. We're in a really posh cafe really? actually. Um, this is proper live pottery, but, isn't it? Where the weather's happening. It's co- it's coming in, and it's actually sca- it's like dampening my notes that I've just made. So yeah. I'm just going to have to move slightly because it wouldn't be a day. Well, actually, the forecast supposed to be quite good today. Could, would you mind moving that yeah, of course, off the mate. chair? Yeah, I'll just move those. Yeah, just um, put that down. I think there. I'll be <laughs> right. Okay, I'm right in the dry now. That's best better. Feel can relax a bit now. Um, yeah, grand setting. We're right in the centre of the, you know the cultural heart of Bergamo, which is a culturally, you know, it's one of the kind of like great cities of Italian culture in northern Italy, isn't it? Um, obviously, profoundly affected in the first wave of COVID. Yes, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, back in 2020, uh, Bergamo was hit like no other city in Italy, and uh, ramifications of that continue to reverberate around the city. I understand that there's you know great uh, local political under- unrest. And that those in local government were still being held accountable, responsible for some wow. of the decision making that led to like a disproportionate number of deaths in care homes and stuff like yeah. that. Horrible, tragic, um, the way that that ripped through Bergamo. But here we are, three years on. As I say, spitting with rain. But you are like basically like a local man. I mean, you look like Franco Pellizzotti. You're blending in, wearing all your Giro d'Italia kit once again. This I mean, I th- looks think like the same clothes you had on yesterday. Yeah, exactly the same clothes uh, with it, with some Calvin Klein one sort of just dust sort of squirted on. Um, no, I, I think 
I might have got mistaken for Pelizzotti again uh, when we crossed the finish line and Stefano Gazzelli gave me a, a, a wink because similar kind of age, road similar, similar, well, the same year, it wasn't similar, it's exactly the same. And so I think, well, he knows about us, but I think he thought, is that Franco? I think it's just a momentary He's confused, wasn't he? Because Franco should be somewhere else at the start. He's yeah. DS for Bahrain victorious. Yeah, but I, I think Gazzelli, who's been on this whole journey working for Blaise, their ch- chief pundit, is as confused and dazed as we are on stage yeah. 15 yeah. so he probably couldn't, couldn't quite calculate in that moment and no couldn't, couldn't be Pellizzotti because he'd be down at the start yeah. and he just thought he, just, he gave you a little nod of recognition yeah I um, mean when actually that, to be, that, that's exactly right I think it is because when we passed by and he, I got that flick I looked round and he went right ah, and it, as, that, as the penny dropped yeah. um, as the euro dropped yeah. or What's the smallest denomination of a euro? Cent. A cent. As the cent dropped, um, really. But no, we are in, I am essentially a local. Um, <laughs> a couple of years ago when, um, well, most listeners, many listeners will realise that Il Lombardia, every other year at the moment, finishes here. So either uh, Il Lombardia either starts in, in Bergamo or, or starts in Lugano, and they swap it round. And um, one of, I think the... Or finishes in Como. 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 Or... Oh, we finished in Lugano before. No, Como. It's Como. Yeah, Como uh, f- normally Como or Bergamo. Yeah, and they finishes. swap it around. Yeah. So yeah. last year, we st- uh, the, yeah, it started here. The year before, it finished here. And exactly, so the finish line is exactly where um, Tali Pogaccia took his first edition of this race. And I think the last tiny little climb, uncategorized climb, is in the race. And many of the roads that they're going to use today, um, they've described it in... Good move. I was, about to, I was thinking yeah. that as you said it. Um, many of the climbs, many of the roads used will are, are used in Il Lombardia. And in the roadbook, they've described today's stage as an urban mountain stage, which is a, I think it's a brilliant description. We often kind of laugh and, and, and gently poke fun at some of the descriptives used, which we actually kind of love, really. Wavy, curvy. Mm. But urban mountain stage, mm. yeah, that's, that's Bob on because it essentially loops around just to the north of Bergamo today. And with about 57k to go, passes through the finish. Which is brilliant. We love a circuit. We, we, we talked about that. Which yeah. is brilliant. But it's a, lo- it's a lovely, lovely place. Uh, hopefully it will, will clear up later. But a couple of years ago, and a, again, maybe one or two of your, of our li- your listeners will remember that two years ago, when it, when it finished here, Lombardia, I stayed just down the road, about a kilometre, an easy walk into town. And I stayed in a little hotel, typically old hotel, quite grand, but faded, um, with a very elderly but, but, but polite proprietor and I got given my key to my room uh, on a really heavy bronze like fob um, and I looked at it it was room 666 yeah. uh, yeah. I thought, okay yeah. how many rooms has this hotel got uh, anyway went to my room and it was it's a bit dark this it was like being in a coffin it was like red velvet and, and dark wood uh, and that's that's my biggest takeaway actually from, from, from this particular city is I stayed in room 666. It's great. I think I might, in the past, I think I might have had a room 666 in the many, many years I've been on the road and Grand Tours. But I've certainly on multiple occasions had room 101. Yes, Which is quite funny as well. Yeah, when you yeah. get room 101 and you just, did you open the, you just like open the, the, the slight trepidation yeah, of what bit. might be inside. What yeah. would be your 101? Ooh. This could be quite dark actually. Do you know what? I was listening back to yesterday's pod when I was editing it. And your little, I mean, it was, it got kind of almost lost in the mix because you moved on so quickly to talk about the structure. I don't know why in a cycling podcast you were talking about the structure of suspension bridges, which is very interesting, by the way. Oh God, it but, was, yeah. but you glossed over before that a very interesting and perhaps traumatic biographical detail that as a, as a child, 
you used to Monday to Friday you felt like you were drowning yeah. and, and Saturday and Sunday were like little islands in your mm. week um, that was quite uh, that was quite Room 101-ish yeah and I think the other addition to the Room 101 was Sunday night uh, generally oh. I didn't want to go to school in the Sunday morning night Sunday night feeling yeah oh. Sunday night the, 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 the wonderful thing about Sunday night you, you pass through it was watching Chips California Highway Patrol yeah. great show but once Chips was over mm. The realisation. What time was that? What time was Chips? Eight, on? half eight. Was it that late? Uh, it's like I think it's like seven to, to eight. Up half eight was was I was the latest, right? Or nine, if I was good. I don't know what good, what different. I was generally quite a good child, actually. Um, but I would then go to bed and worry about going to school, yep. and then realise that I hadn't done my homework. Yep, yep. Uh, so I'd do a bit of homework, but not quite enough. Just not quite bit. enough. No, it was awful. Uh, just do some homework that yep. resembled homework. But just ne- something but you could hand in yeah, so, that, so that there, in. there wasn't that awful moment where you just haven't got anything. Ha- have you done, like, you could have your homework. You know when the teacher to ask you if you done your homework and it would be like, well, there you go, or, yeah. or, or where, where is your homework? Yeah. And I'd forgotten so you're it. You're just well, delaying the inevitable sort of like trouble that you're going to get into by at least a, a little bit just by handing really. something in so there's not an immediate problem. Totally. But there'll be a problem down the line because oh, yeah. it's just substandard what you've well, had. And then there's open evening yeah. for, the, for your mum and dad. Yeah. Parents evening. See you, We just just flesh things out we're just about to pay for the two more copies we've got I'll pass you realised we were podcasting and did a like oh I'm That's so nice. sorry kind of gesture which is totally unnecessary because uh, if, if she knew what this podcast was like she wouldn't be apologising really much. but just to extend the room 101 thing just to find so what I had and in general on a Sunday a top 10 list of worries in life and I used to start from number 1 no 10 down to 1 about want to be wo- homework so homework was up there and this is getting really dark the fear of nuclear war yeah. was uh, number one. Yeah. Um, and there was other ones in there as well. Uh, just uh, put, Maybe put some Italian music over this bit. We're just about to pay. Uh, no, that would require a bit of editing. That I don't All right, get involved don't do that. Well, I'll just, bridge, yeah. Bridges for the yeah, yeah. Um, other, um, other parts, other elements of my list of worries was I'd never remember the alphabet. I'd, I was really worried about forgetting... Not, not getting a job because I didn't, I'd, I'd forget the alphabet on a job interview. So that was one of the things I used to well, really... You thought that you might be testing the alphabet. <laughs> well, I was 10. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I thought... I can't. So I used to practice the alphabet every Sunday night, okay. nail it. Yeah. I used, used to do the Lord's Prayer every Sunday night. Oh, that's nice. Lord's Prayer. Yeah. That wasn't one of my worries. That was one of the things I thought I had to do just to, so the Lord would look over me as a kid. Can you still you know? do the Lord's Prayer? Probably. Give it a go. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thou will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our day. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, for we forgive those who trespass against us. Oh, what's the last bit? Da-da-da, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I've just missed a line. X Y Z. X Y Z. Yeah. Uh, he's got a Sunday school a bit, but but no. But he's have a list of worries, and and the the final worry. Well, there's a couple of others was remem- what, again job interview I wouldn't get a job because I couldn't remember my left from my right so I'd go through this routine of remembering left from right uh, yeah <laughs> that's merely uh, so left from right alphabet were my big issues and I actually wrote a letter because of the nuclear war thing to, to Gorbachev I wrote a handwritten letter to the Kremlin to say uh, really really if you could just not you know bomb bombers or how about you know and I, I, it was a little it was a a little handwritten letter of, about the importance of diplomacy 
uh, in, my, in my little tiny mind about speaking to our Prime Minister about the President of the United States at the time. And I, and I wrote it to him and I sent it. I never got a reply, but I no, got the address of the Kremlin. He took it on board, didn't yeah. he? Because like, a few years later, there he was meeting Reagan in Reykjavik, wasn't he? For the, and that, that was peace it. Talks, yeah. Peace talks, yeah. Um, you precipitated with that letter the, the collapse of the Soviet Union with all the multiple ramifications that we're still seeing. So for good and bad, we've got you to thank for that. Um, there you go. Which is... Well, well done. Of, thank you. Yeah. That's, uh, so yeah, I was a complex child. But that, that a Sunday job. night feeling was oh, yeah. Make yeah. It, yeah. But I, th- I think we used to watch in our house, um, not so much chips, but I've got a feeling we used to watch all creatures great and small. Was that, that Sunday was on, night. Thing? That was either Saturday or Sunday night, and it was about eight o'clock. Saturday night. I'm well, sure no, it's Sunday. No, it's a Sunday night. It's more of a wholesome, very gentle sort yeah. of. Yeah, like, I, I used to love do that. Do 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 and then it would fade out. Yeah. And then, then it would be like. I can remember it now. Sorry, that's the first time. I, yeah, I had enough approximation. But it would fade out at that point, and then it would be like cut to interior of um, Siegfried's house. Yes. Uh, and the telephone would be ringing. Yep. In the corner, and there'd be a voice from upstairs, uh, Siegfried's voice, going, "Tristan, Tristan, can you answer that?" And, and, and then James would answer it because he, the, the, the two brothers never got on, and James would have to pick up the slack. He go, "I'll get it. Don't yeah. worry." And then that would be the, the beginning of that episode, wouldn't it? That would be the the, yeah. the, the moment. This is your mission. Well, a mayor, today, yeah. a, a mayor would be um, in, in labour, and he'd go have to go, to go yeah. out in the middle of the night. It wasn't his turn to do it, but he'd do it anyway. So he'd go to the farm. Yeah. First thing he'd ask for would be like plenty of towels, but really hot water. But he'd be really gently frustrated and slight, ever so slightly annoyed, but would never get that across. I mean. I, I seem to remember, it might have been a dream, the, the episode when a, a goose got the, its egg stuck in its bum. But just never, <laughs> never, never worried, he never kind of swore, just dealt with it. Stage 15, um, Ben Healy? Again, it's Ben, yeah. It's All right, let's, let's go with not Ben Healy, because but, that's more interesting. But Ben Healy. Ben Healy, ben Healy uh, Nico Dent. Oh, flying. Uh, Betty Ol. G. Yeah, yeah, Derek G. Uh, We've got to give him a bit more time on the pod. What a tremendous... We talk about him a lot. And again, this is this commentary, our conversation in the car and pottery bleed. But we have given him a lot of time. But what a fantastic rider. I didn't know much about him at all. And he has been, he has been absolutely amazing. And, but I think we're at, at this point now, if you look at all the protagonists on the days that have been days for breakaways, it's about the same 30 guys. There's a lot of guys now just wanting to get through this Giro. There's another clutch of riders who won't be allowed to go, who are looking after their GC guys. There's some sprinters who are just hanging on on a stage like this. And all that leaves in a relatively small field is about 25, 30 riders. And it's the same faces over and over again. the same faces. If you look at the top 10, it's very similar. Aldani will try and get up the road again. I think Ballerini's feeling good. He will try and get up the road. It's not his favourite terrain, but he'll get in a move. Healy, I think, will try. Uh, Maybe Magnus Court. Magnus Court, maybe a bit too hilly, but I think Magnus Court will try. Um, So the same name, but G... He can't be too far away from, from winning a stage here. Yeah. Uh, and he was the, the kind of emotional. Was, did you see? He was really he was, upset. He was, cry, he, was yeah. cry, he was crying when he crossed the line yeah. uh, in disappointment. But and because he'd been smacked in the chops by Nico yeah, Dent, he'd, he'd been he'd been it's an uppercut, which was yeah. that's not what you do to a runner-up. In it. I mean, uh, yeah, it was it was it was very funny, and I don't think I think he did see the funny side. But he's yeah, he's been magnificent and ridiculously strong, and could yeah, could force some splits here. 
Uh, the leaf blowers are doing my head in. They're probably you it's listening annoying, to the podcast. So uh, let's let's cut at this point or we'll edit and jump ahead to some commentary. No. Grazie mille. Um, that was just um, a lady asking us whether we needed a, a, a small container with lots of packets of sugar in and I just replied in English because she asked me in English and I said no we don't and I, um, just, I, I disagree with it because you yeah. were right yeah we'll jump ahead to the commentary bit got about 20 minutes to go before the race and uh, just before we do have a burst of commentary I just asked ChatGPT to write a report on the Giro d'Italia in the style of Ernest Hemingway and within about 30 seconds it wrote the Giro d'Italia, a rugged battle against nature's elements and the human spirit, unfolded with fervor across the enchanting Italian countryside. As the cyclists carved their, through the serpentine roads, their determination echoed in the whispering winds. In the mountainous stages where the riders confronted the daunting peaks of the Dolomites, their sinewy legs strained against gravity's embrace. A symphony of grunts and labored breaths filled the air as they defied the unforgiving terrain. The Giro, a dance of endurance and willpower, unfolded with a silent elegance. Under the Tuscan sun, the peloton weaved through the picturesque landscapes, their wheels spinning in rhythmic harmony. Dust kicked up, forming a transient cloud of earthy hues. Sweat cascaded down furrowed brows, mingling with the grit of the road. Each pedal stroke a testament to the resilience of the human spirit. In the sprints, riders jockeyed for prime position, their steely gazes fixed upon the finish line. The burst of adrenaline unleashed a burst of speed, leaving spectators breathless. The roaring crowd, a vibrant chorus of encouragement, amplified the riders' quest for victory. Yet, as the days melted into weeks, fatigue became an omnipresent companion. The fierce battle against time and rivals exacted a toll on both body and mind. Muscles protested, minds grew weary, yet still they pressed on. Amidst the pain and exhaustion, glimpses of camaraderie and sportsmanship emerged. A helping hand extended to a fallen comrade, a nod of acknowledgement exchanged between adversaries. In this crucible of competition, bonds forged and legends were born. Ultimately, the Giro crowned its champion, a warrior of the road who endured countless miles and conquered formidable obstacles. The victor, standing atop the podium, bathed in the adoration of the crowd, embodied the spirit of the race. As the sun set on this Italian epic, a timeless tale of triumph and perseverance unfolded. The Giro d'Italia, an ode to the indomitable human spirit, etched its name among the annals of sporting greatness, leaving an indelible mark on those who dared to ride. Ciao, buongiorno e benvenuti. One more day of racing then before the second rest day, but what a day it's going to be. A course packed with testing short climbs, finishing with a circuit around Bergamo which offers multiple chances to attack. It's looking set up for another big breakaway and the fight to be part of the move of the day is bound to be intense. McNulty no! Breaks free go! Healy's still trying to respond! McNulty takes it! McNulty, a Grand Tour stage winner for the first time in his career! You still get the same cash, but we're basically head of cables. So, do you think you could do it? Well, you join you join this part of the podcast mid conversation as, as Matt is speculating as to whether or not, um, if push came to shove, um, okay, if push came to shove, uh, we could rig an entire uh, technical zone and actually do the technical side of a broadcast. Um, that's always that's like assuming that 
Um, well, working on the premise that we, we were just sacked as wealthy commentators because yeah. we weren't up to it, yeah. um, which is not entirely impossible, actually. Um, I think we need to go up the line here, don't we? Yeah. Walk down the road there, maybe. There's a lot. Um, we haven't really podded in the D-rig zone, have we? It's, no, there's a lot, lot going on. A lot. Quite there's, a technical. Lot there's a lot of scraping. Oh, I mean, look, look where we are. Look at the ca- Intimissio Omo. Intimissio right. Omo. We're walking right in front of the podium now that they are hastily de-rigging. I'm holding a bit of Duro confetti, wow. uh, which is it's kind of quite special. I'm going to pick one up as well. Pick one up. Put, yep. it your, put it. Put it. You know, in your, your phone case with a bit at the back. Yeah. Put it in there, yeah. and we'll be forever connected to the Duro. Yeah. Fight for pink. Fight for pink. We didn't even have to fight for that bit of pink. It was no, just lying was just, there on the. It was just easy. It was just, it was just. It was just a bit of a rollover, really, wasn't it? Yeah. A rollover for pink. Yeah. But no. Um, good day, Berg and Sunshine. Yeah, it's a really I, good day. It just make it, it does what you said it at the top, didn't we? Um, oh, sorry, I was holding the microphone towards me, no. even though you were speaking. So no, we got it's weird. We got we we got our books wet while we're doing that little bit of Shakespeare. I gave you a song. I still can't. That was just bizarre. But and the Lord's uh, again, Prayer and the Lord's Prayer. Which, and then you admitted to some of your darkest fears when you were a child. Yeah, but um, they're all behind me now because the sun's out. Uh, I think it's when it's dark and gloomy. I, I look back on parts of my life and not with regret or anything. It's just that there was some. Some, I, was a, I was a complex child, I think we all were, and we had our own little issues and ways of dealing with things. Um, just add two minutes onto our journey. Yeah. I just want to poke my head inside this oh, church. Gosh, yes. Yeah, let's do that. This it's is absolutely amazing. beautiful. I mean, rest day tomorrow, the pressure's off. We haven't got a very long drive, have we, which is brilliant. Half an hour, if that, 20 minutes. So let's have a mooch. Yeah, it's just a mini mooch. I just noticed this huge church close to the finishing line here. Um, and I noticed and I didn't have time. It was quite tight, wasn't it, coming on air to get everything done. Yeah, so I just want to pop inside. I don't even know what this church is called, but it's sort of big Baroque church. I'm going to read the legend on the outside. Are we allowed, are we allowed to pod in churches? Uh, I don't know. I think we'll oh, give it a I go. I said the Lord's Prayer, really. We should be fine. It's the San Maria Immaculata della Grazia Bergamo. Um, the Church of St. Mary the Graces in the Diocese of Bergamo. And um, the actual structure of the church built in, yeah, so it's a mid-19th century church, this one, actually. 1857, and just walking inside now. Absolutely huge brass door with a, well, yeah, Christ with the cross, and we step inside now. Fantastic, wasn't it? Just a little. We walked into evening mass, I suppose. It's Sunday, isn't it? Yeah, we did. That was a quite, um, quite a powerful moment, really, wasn't it? Certainly didn't expect that. But uh, beautiful yeah. church inside. It's lovely, cool. It's actually lovely. It's a warm, sunny evening. Proper summery weather. And you stepped inside, and instantly the, the 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 smell of incense hits you. The temperature went down, sort of ten degrees. Lovely, and cool inside there. Uh, and because it's a nineteenth-century sort of church, it. Um, it had a dome, didn't it? A painted dome. It's very square. It wasn't a long nave or anything. Quite a square bit of architecture with a painted dome above the altar um, and all sorts of frescoes on either side of the wall. The little confessional stalls to the left. And, uh, yeah, a, a congregation mid-mass. It was uh, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Difficult to know where to take the conversation after that, isn't it, really? It is a bit. Apart from the fact, yeah, it's, it does feel like summer. And um, we've got the rest day coming up. Uh, we're going the right direction. I've no idea. We need to concentrate on where I left the car. Yeah. And uh, we'll do that and then we'll um, talk about the bike race maybe in yes. a bit. Yes. Yeah. So, this is why. 
<laughs> in the car now. Yeah. And this is typical of the Giro. Now we are Matt's engaging in that's that's your three that's a three point reversing turn so, thing. Yeah, so back into drive. It. We're doing awesome, so stuck it in drive. Yeah. This one I think you're gonna get out this time. Are you? But then you've got to turn it round. So you're out of the parking spot, but now you've got to turn it round in quite a narrow street uh, with a line of scooters uh, ahead of you. So that's turn number four. I'll tell you what, this is, I'm actually quite happy with this, Ned, so far. I'm, you've done, no, you've done great. I'm just going to... Because yeah. it, it's all... Cars can actually... The concept of cars kissing to a lot of people think, well, that's, you know, that only happens in Disney films. It doesn't. If you're doing a, executing a really good... Um, if you're executing a, a good escape... You can actually gently kiss the car behind, so by, by nudging it and just pushing against it, giving you a little bit of space. People don't talk about that, but it's um, it's part of the art of the three-point turn, yeah. we're especially in the city area. We appear to be stranded in the middle. Oh no, yeah, we're, okay, we're going. No, we're moving now. Yeah, you're right. Um, was there anything that Ben Healy got wrong there? Hold on, I just need to. It says we're going. Oh, we're good. We'll shelve. Sorry, we'll mate. shelve that oh, question no, about Ben Healy. No, right. sorry. Sorry, I'll just... That's okay, that's, that's no entry. Yes, we, we uh, Oh, uh, that's a traffic jam. This is the bit that it said it's going to be traffic, so we're good. Yeah, um, okay. I think... We were talking about it on air. I don't think... I think... One thing Ben Healy maybe did wrong was to uh, for, try and force Frigo to the front when, on the flat, when um, McNulty did that first attack and he paused and Frigo wasn't going to ride and he hesitated, hesitated. That was a big bit of work he had to do to bring that back. Um, and then, but I think he rode the climb as, as well as he could, the, the climb before where he split it and went clear, Rubio got dropped, etc. But the only thing I can say is it, if he'd have gone maybe earlier, he might have been able to, because of the steeper slopes, put a little bit more time, time into McNulty. But this, yeah. this is all kind of academic, but I was expecting him to go a lot earlier. But he couldn't, he couldn't go on the cobbles, could he? He was uncomfortable on the cobbles relative to... He's so light, isn't he, Ben Healy? And yeah, on a, they been... were bumpy cobbles. He, there wasn't, that just, he couldn't do it, could he, at that point? And that, was, that would have been potentially... If that had been tarmac on those gradients, because it's steep on the... That might have been the point to go, yeah. but that just wasn't an option for him. So I agree, there wasn't really much that he could have done, done differently. And when he... When McNulty attacked with 7k to go, when, as you say, he tried to, he tried to push... Make Frigo go through... McNulty didn't. I don't. He wanted to attack there, but he found himself in a position where he yeah. had to attack, yeah. and it was it was kind of half-hearted from McNulty, wasn't it? Not half-hearted, but it wasn't the full bifter. Yeah, it, but it, but he did put Healy under a lot of pressure, and it was on an ever so slightly dropping bit of road where McNulty would have had the upper hand. Um, but you know, Healy's still got a hell of a lot of top end for a lighter rider, and he's crazily aerodynamic. But that would have cost a lot. But I just think the the way the the parkour's unfolded and the way I think. Looking at the route, looking at the composition of the breakaway, looking at the way it ultimately fell apart for a lot of riders, and Healy, Healy, Healy kind of exploded the group. Um, I don't think he could have done much more. I think had he been been feeling good, he might have gone earlier. But I think when you look, he was also attacking for King of the Mountains points. There was three real hard efforts he had to make for the King of the Mountains points, which, whatever way you look at it, um, would have cost him something. Um, maybe, I'm not saying he was cooked, maybe he just couldn't go quite as early and, and had only X amount of resource left to go on the climb when he did. But what he, he couldn't do, he opened up a good gap, but then the, the final two and a half Ks of the last big climb were only about four and a half percent. And that's where McNulty pegged him, ultimately drew back, leveled out, 
the gap sort of stabilizes with a little kicker towards the top. He only had 15 seconds, and then it's like, okay, McNulty's gonna, it's gonna get back on, and he did. Sat on for the whole of the descent, then started to work. Brilliant, brilliant ride by Frigo, but yeah, the one mistake was maybe shutting was was expecting Frigo to work there because no way was Frigo going to chase anything down. And and for again for another young rider, he's super super smart. He rode, he did the, I, th I think, full marks to Frigo, um, in relation to what he done. He did a little bit underpowered, but but um, almost caught them on napping. Although he, damn near, he damn nearly won it. He, he, yeah, but I don't think he could have done any more. No. And, and I, 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 I'm really loath to be, to be critical of Healy. But um, what our job is, is as, as pundits and, and as broadcasters and people who also love the sport, um, our job is to unpick it and try and demystify and, and try and get behind the rationale behind riders of, who um, in different stress situations too. You know, and um, Although Ben Healy is a Grand Tour stage winner, he still hasn't ridden anywhere near as many races, for example, of, uh, sorry, I'm just looking at this. It's strangely, look, it's just, it, it's doing weird stuff. I think it's just straight on. Yeah, it yeah, is, but see the way it's reorientated. Follow the UCI. Um, we might be near a a, a, a a little, a tiny black hole. It's possible. Uh, just a small one, mm. but it's doing enough. There we go. I'm just slotting in behind a Kibiki Sport. Dot e I T. But yeah, uh, but Healy rode rode a tremendous race. But in the end, he came up against real experienced, strong opposition today. And the final phase of that race, it was always going to be harder for Healy to do something. He's running out of options. Um, and then even when you look at the final kilometres, ever so slightly downhill with, you know, with an, a formidable opponent. Um, and and then Healy was forced to kind of close the gap, wasn't he? Originally, sorry, I'm in, I'm in that, that one. Um, it was always going to be a, a hard finale for, for Ben to win. But he did what he could. He put, he put him under pressure on the final bit of the climb but we've never seen McNulty have to make an effort like that but even though he's a, he's a heavier lad yeah. over a, a 30 40 second effort he's yeah. probably going to match Healy and he did he can just produce more maximum power although yeah. it's inefficient he can still sustain it and tolerate that amount of punishment yeah, it's really interesting that because the, the climb on the face of it that that last little climb was pure Ben Healy territory it's a Ben Healy climb and not a McNulty climb but it wasn't long and it re it just and it just because it's just that slight, if it had been a 1500 meter climb or a two kilometer climb, it would have tilted back in favor of Healy and he would have been able to exploit that advantage. But yeah, you're right. It was short enough for, for McNulty to do what he did and he did it brilliantly. And uh, it was one of those wins where you, you do as a commentator, unless you've got all these facts at your fingertips, you've got a photographic memory, you do have to do a double check and just go, it's really the case that Brandon McNulty hasn't won a stage of a grand tour. Oh no, he hasn't. Um, and it is a bit surprising because he's been knocking around for six years at the very highest level um, now, Brandon McNulty. But yeah, he looked, he's such a son of a, he's a curious fish, isn't he, Brandon McNulty? He always has an absolutely startled look about him. Yeah. I don't think, reading between lines, I don't know Brandon McNulty, I've never met him, I don't think, but I don't think he enjoys the limelight. I don't think he enjoys yeah, being interviewed. Shy, yeah. Very shy lad. And it always comes across as slightly kind of like, what, what are you asking me? But it was lovely to see him. The unbridled joy, actually. His features just opened up and he's messing around a little bit on the podium. It's good. It was good. I'm pleased for him. He seems like a good a good lad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, he spent, he clearly, 
from what he said afterwards, he said, yeah, we, it's all about Almeida, we've got the stage room. I didn't mention the Ackerman stage room, I think that was a bonus really, but he was. He said that, yeah, you will get your opportunity to go for a stage. Now that's done, they can focus on Almeida, and from a, a timing perspective, it's almost perfect. We've just seen the first glimpses that Almeida's hungry as well. Um, been very quiet, a bit like Roglic. A, a couple of tentative attacks on that final climb that ultimately came to nothing, yet still did force a selection. Uh, and, and saw Kemner detached and then before he came back on again. But yeah, um, McNulty, if you think back to all of these stages where we've had big breaks go clear, he's, he clearly, of, of, every, as, of everybody, has been given an opportunity to go clear, but it's never made it. Finally gets it, uh, and he delivers. And, and the parkour, I think the finale of that race suited him down to the ground. If that had been, a, you know, um, if the finisher had been at the bottom of the mountain or the, the top, it would have been Healy. Um, but no, I mean, that, that's... Um, you have to look at the profile of the race, look at how you're going, look at the, the riders that are around you, and then that's your strategy, that you, you, you strategize around um, the dynamic environment, and that includes the riders and the parkour, and the, the, the man that did it perfectly on the day was McNulty, and I couldn't be more pleased for him. Yeah. Very good. A couple of little details that I noticed today that we picked up on again, and we've kind of commentated about it, so we are, to a certain degree, repeating things that we've already said to one another and thought out loud. Um, but, yeah, you go down that one, mate. Follow the ambulance, yeah. yeah. Um, Sorry, the junctions are just so odd, aren't yeah, they? but it's Italy, isn't it? Yeah, we know that. I yeah. should know that by now. I should know that. Um, a couple of little observations was, one, I, I enjoyed watching this because there is a definite pecking order in this GC. There's Almeida, Roglic and Thomas and everyone else. And uh, on that climb where Dunbar tried to attack, kind of like, did a really good ride, but wasn't getting away. And then Almeida wanted to try something, but it was, there was no room on the left. And as Dunbar kind of came back and faded a little bit, Almeida just tapped him on the side and went, all right, son, out the way now. Uh, just like, mate, 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 the big boys are coming through. Yeah, it was quite narrow there, wasn't it? Yeah. So Almeida... Yeah, clearly had the, the flashing on the and, and Dunbar didn't dispute that. No, there is that pecking order thing. Oh yeah, okay. All right, let the let the podium, let the podium come. Podium coming through, and uh, Julie did. And Thomas flexed a little bit, didn't he? I thought, you know, he he survived what is potentially not a very Geraint Thomasy climb, very well, um, under pressure from Almeida and Roglic, was right there on the wheels, and then on the descent moved to the front and kind of like set the pace as if to say, nope, I'm here. Oh, that took one or two risks. There was a little bit of a. <gasps> yeah, at one his point, wheel skipped out on that real sweeping left-hander. We were with about just under two k's to go, which was a, a nervous moment. I don't think our producer caught it because they didn't show a replay. But there was too much going on to actually replay that. Um, but that was just a small. And then, and then happy to lead them out. And we know if you think about what Thomas can do on a flat bit of road and ever so slightly downhill. When you think back to his pursuit days is ride very, very fast to the point that nobody, so, so control, rather than backing off and looking around, mm. which could open up the door for someone to go bang, mm. that punch, all he needs is get it up to 65k an hour and hold it, and nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna come around him. Oh, yeah, he's good at doing that. Roll him, they're not gonna gap him, and that's why he did it. So again, using, because there was a lot going on there, and it's like, well, okay, I don't wanna, I don't wanna concede the time of gain now, so I'm just gonna hit the front rest day tomorrow, and, nobody, and just to assure, that a few, a few might roll me on the line, but they're not going to open up a gap. And again, it is a small detail, but Thomas is clearly confident and, and made sure in that finish that he kept that, that, that precious two seconds um, in hand and heading into the rest day. Yeah, and the other little thing that I noticed was that there was a little split between the sort of um, the front group of GC riders and the Kemner Pino group, etc. who were chasing hard and they got back on in the end. But the rider who did the final turn to knit it all back together again was Pino! Who like dropped Armirai, or he hadn't dropped him, but Armirai was a little bit further down the road, 30 seconds further back. But Pino was pushing that group, driving that group on, and I thought, I sp spoke to you afterwards about it. 
it, it, that was the ride of a man who's in an interesting place in the general classification, clearly on stellar form, Thibaut Pinot. But that, for me, was more than the ride of a guy who's just shoring up his 10th place. He's Thibaut Pinot, for heaven's sake. I think he... I don't know. Maybe I'm interpreting too much. I think he still thinks he can get on the podium, possibly, here. I don't know. I, I, I think he, he might. And, uh, you know, um, on his day, he is an exceptional rider. Um, he's got a little bit of time to make up. But uh, he's only a couple of minutes behind Almeida, for example. I mean, we've got some brutal stages coming up. Exactly. Uh, so so I think that was a play, I think, maybe... And, and now he's, he's actually 11th. He's just in 11th place, just behind De Plus and Aronsman on the general classification. Um, both of those riders finished with Pino. They are riders that are going to be expendable. Um, I'm sure they'd love to finish inside the top 10 in the Giro, but it's all about winning it with Geraint. Or, so they will be expendable, especially if Sivakov falls away, who incidentally crashed again today. But th- that leaves... So Pino has got options, and he's kind of torn. Well, he's not going to be out like, uh, allowed to go out the road. So getting a stage win now, I think it's going to be quite hard for him. So what's the next best thing is just stick with the GC group, see what happens there. Yeah. Because I don't think he'll be allowed, he won't be allowed at the road. And, and even and that also makes it harder for him to go for the King of the Mountains classification. Yeah. So so a podium. Yeah, exactly. So the, um, is, the other is thing sensible. The other thing he could have done today was lose time. Yeah. To 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 get that stage, you know, because he's in a funny kind of limbo, GC wise. Need to lose a lot of time to to get that freedom to go up the road to get the King of the Mountains, to get the stage. But he did the opposite of that. It is interesting. It was interesting. Yeah, I, I yeah. think, um, yeah, in a nutshell, yes, he's going for GC. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Yeah. And you think. I think. We both think. That's a Q8 easy there. We don't need fuel, though, do we? No, we don't, but it's nice to see. Q8 yeah. Easy. We know. Q8 easy is basically um, a petrol station. We've got to go to Q8. It's the only place we can go to fill up with our fuel card. Not the literally Q- to Q8. That's a no, long, that, that, a long that, way, that, way That would really ruin our rest day as well. But... Um, but a QA Easy is a yeah a petrol station without a booth, so you'd stick your card in. It's a bit of a dull description, really. Yeah. But that's what it is, and they are fundamentally quite easy. Yeah. I know the I know the pin of our Q8 card off by heart. That's 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 good work. That's I don't. Do you think it would be a security breach if I told the podcast listeners what it is? Yeah. I think you need to be careful. Okay. I just wanted to flex and prove to you that I knew. <laughs> just say it. Yeah, but without the card. Say it, Jim. Sieben, zwei, eins, vier. Correct. That <laughs> <laughs> wasn't really overly coded, was it? Uh, I'm sure a lot of you can just get chat GPT if, if you're not, you know, you know whatever. Yeah. But no, uh, also... <laughs> what happened to that sentence? If you're not jumped up. Again, I think... It's almost like you started chewing a bit of salami or something instead of speaking yeah. properly. It's very yeah. interesting. I also think that it's an, yet another stage... Um, and both of us, I think it's hap- I think it's happened to both of us. We are both slowly but surely um, turning into our colleague Massey. But so, uh-huh. yeah. oh, that funny thing! A funny thing happened in commentary today, <laughs> um, where uh, I was watching the monitor. Well, we we're both watching the monitor, but we're back up. we are starting to chat GPT, hallucinate things, and I. I noticed uh, Davide Ballerini almost getting taken out by a team car today. Like that, but I don't think you'd seen it because maybe you're looking at your notes or something like that. So I went, Oh, like that. <laughs> what, what amused me was that I don't think you'd seen the thing with Ballerini, but because I went, Oh, I actually scared you, yeah, and you like, went, oh. and you went, Oh, as a reply. It was funny. I, did. I went, yeah. Oh, and you went, Oh, 
And yeah. it's like, what? Yeah. We're like, kind of, uh, we're like, I think we've become quite symbiotic mentally, haven't we? Yeah. We're kind of feeding off each other. Um, yeah. And we, we are reacting. Uh, I'm sure if we um, had menstrual cycles, we'd be, you know, in, perhaps in, in sync. sync. Yep. We, oh, oh, I, I, I want to let this just. just yeah. Oh, it's a, it's, a, it's a little, um, it's a pizza, a pizza driver. The person had a cap on and there was clearly a, a, a big, one of those um, spongy um, heat retaining boxes with a, probably a pizza in it. Um, and we're running next to a tiny little stream as well. Was it a river? Brook? What do you call that? Yeah, it's a, it's a, I'd, I'd say it's a brook, but it's been um, penned in by concrete walls, which is uh, not very... It's not, we're not in a beautiful part of what is no, an absolutely stunning city of Bergamo. And um, yeah, the Giro just felt like a different race today, didn't it? Oh, it did. The riders were relaxed. The sun was out. They cast their arm warmers aside. There were no leg warmers. A tiny little bit of drizzle I mean, at the start. Healy dousing himself in water to keep cool. Yeah. Um, it was clearly hot out there. Uh, His hair's grown, hasn't it? Yeah. Two weeks of well, it left. I wonder if uh, using some form of science we can compare Ben Healy's hair growth speed to yours because your hair it's like I've never seen it so long yeah. I'm not saying it is long but I've never seen hair so long on your head no. um, but yeah. you do you know what is it right? you're wearing it well you're wearing it well yeah. yeah you're wearing it well I've been like I've got some um, I've got a little pair of clippers that I've, occasionally I'm sculpting bits off because I do have what? a tendency because I have a tendency when my hair gets to this length which is one of the reasons why I don't normally let it go to this length you know Alan Partridge's haircut yes it grows very thick, kind of like, um, I don't know what you call this bit of the hair, just a, a, the, by the temples, yeah, temple hair. It kind of thickens with partridge quite overly yeah, fast. It's like dense, it's like uh, fuzz, isn't it? It's and like my, mine, mine, mine grows like that, and it just, I get a real, really strong partridge vibes off myself. Um, so, I, I've, so with the clippers, I've just been keeping that vaguely under control. But I, it, it is now, that's dangerous, because once you start just especially with my eyesight, using the clippers just to kind of lop bits of your haircut off, it becomes DIY quite fast. Yeah, and before yeah. before too long, you're kind of like sw oh, yeah. swampy. Aren't or, or Theo Gagan Hart, who regularly um, um, just does his DIY haircut. Does he? Yeah. Oh yeah, all the time. Just gets the clippers and just goes round. It's really uneven. And if you look back at to one of his haircuts at Altitude that he did just before he came to the Giro. But he's got great hair. I know, but he does it a lot, but he does himself, and he looks like he looks like a, a monk from 1480, quite often. Yeah, Benedictine. Yeah, it's who just basically... Yeah, and I bet they didn't have electric shavers, because electricity hadn't been invented. So they would have just done that themselves, but there's definitely a DIY thing It hadn't been discovered, it. had it? It hadn't been discovered. It was definitely there, Yeah, no one knew what it was. It was around, wasn't it? Uh, in, in Lightning, for example. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although not so much in, like... Um, little bits of static electricity because they didn't have nylon back then, did they? No, nylon uh, hadn't been. Um, Do you think static? Yeah, little crackles when you pull pull arms. Yeah, do you remember? On. Again, we, we keep going back in back in time quite often because we're slightly we're two slightly older gentlemen, not that old, but did we? You know, in our late forties, early fifties, nearer our early fifties. But um, do you remember getting electric shocks in department stores on regularly? They were as a kid at Woolworths and. A lot of the the, yes. the shelving yes. that metal it just ah yes. ah yes ah, all the With time your, on your fingers yeah I was always getting electrocuted regularly there's no, nobody and nobody minded it was the seventies oh, that's so interesting but yeah. do you think ah no but I wonder I if that's a thing like so I remember when my kids were little and younger and living at home and stuff um, they used to complain there was a house on my street probably still doing that used to have one of those um, anti teenager high frequency 
um, sound things on their house. So to stop teenagers ha- hanging around outside their house, they had this, they had this oh, um, yeah. really high-pitched, high high-frequency yeah. noise that, that people of our age, more mature people, can't yeah. hear. But, but um, Kids but, and dogs. So I'm wondering hear. whether the, the static thing is something you grow out of, whether ah. for some reason, you know, I don't know what that reason might be, whether 12-year-olds are still being, well, obviously not in Woolworths, because that's sadly demised, but yeah. the equivalent of Woolworths, say Wilco, yeah. Uh, they're picking up static electricity shocks in the same way that we did in the 70s and the 80s. Yeah, quite possibly. Oh, quick one. Never never guess who sent me a, a message today on WhatsApp. Has it, does it relate to the 70s and the 80s? Something? No, it's Kevin Herringotts. No. Yeah. Oh, so, has he heard that he's... That we? Well, no, listen to this. It, it was a... a <laughs> flipping it. I, I was like... Re- so, anyway, let me just get... I've got to try and get it all in order. Basically, he texted me today. I went out to, to the loo and I got to check my phone. Quick, Kevin's message. Yeah. And, it, and then um, it, it said, is it a, uh, an enormous... One of the biggest tractor conventions in the world, in New Zealand? Happened to be in Crikey, a hotel. seriously. Got, got he, must be, feed. he must be quite senior. Yeah, well, if he he's, If he's there paying for a business trip for him to go over there. Yeah. No, he's, he's operating... He's quite a hitter. Well, it's a couple of years since that, the Tour of Britain days, isn't it? So he's worked oh, his yeah, way up. Ten years. Um, so he's, I think he's... He said... Uh, yeah, I think he said he's as well as he listened to our commentary and remembers us from that from those heady days of the tour of Britain and just basically he just wished us all the best. But yeah, he's I think he's he's big up in the tyre department now. Oh, uh, okay, that would make sense. Yeah, because of his cycling background. Well, there you go. I wasn't going to say anything, but yeah, wheels. <laughs> anyway, Kevin, <laughs> he's all right. He's good. But ah, uh, so if he, was he listening today? Yes, because he's in New Zealand. Okay, so he would have heard that bit of the he would have heard that bit of the commentary when you started talking about how Jake Stewart. This is genuinely what we started talking about in the commentary yeah, we did. today. Um, Jake Stewart, you started talking about how he laid his own patio. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So Jake Stewart did a bit of pottery with Jake about a year ago, and um, and we got onto. I don't know how we got onto the subject of his garden. Um, he ended up sending me some photos. I'll dig them out. Um, not that it helps the pod. Um, and I'm not lying, but uh, no, he uh, is big into his patio and was building it over over several weeks, but didn't get anybody in. So dug up the garden, he bought a new house with his girlfriend, uh, wrecked out the back, and he showed me it did look like, uh, well, it was just a right old site, um, but did it all himself. So he's, he's pretty good at DIY. Um, loves a good concrete slab, does Jake. And he's got the, when you look at his forearms, it's pretty proper slab forearms. Yeah, for a cyclist, he's yeah, got yeah. definite patio layers forearms. Yeah, yeah. But that you told that story in roughly that form on the World Feed commentary today, and I countered with, but interestingly, that's not the only. Um, I, I've got another sportsman laying a patio oh, story. It was brilliant. It um, was brilliant. I mean, you'd say it because you said well, it so wonderfully. Well, my, I'd love to hear it again. My mate Simon, who actually I didn't have time to say this on the World Feed commentary, but I'll give you a little bit more detail about who Simon was. Simon Moore is the son of Brian Moore, the, 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 the great football commentator, Brian That's Moore. Brilliant. Who is a, a lovely bloke and a good friend of mine. Um, and Simon was, in the early 80s, a little bit older than me, he was, he was 16, 17 when he was doing his A-levels. And he, one of the A-levels he was doing was German. Yeah? And um, at the end of his first year of his sixth form, uh, the, the, uh, roughly Easter time, um, Kevin Keegan came around for Sunday dinner at the Moore's house. Um, and this is Kevin Kevin Keegan in his absolute pomp when he's playing for SV Hamburg. It's just a super, it was a, yeah. basically as big as a pop star, wasn't he? It was, it was massive, wasn't he, Kevin? Yeah. Well, no, regular size, yeah. but massive. Yeah, uh, kind of with Ben Healy hair. Yes. Um, yeah. Ben Healy charisma and all that sort of thing. Um, and he was about to win the European Golden Boot and Ballon d'Or and all that kind of thing, European Player of the Year. And yeah, SV Hamburg, anyway. But um, Kevin Keegan, being a lovely bloke, was talking to Simon about how school was going. And Simon said, I'm struggling with my German. He said, well, why don't you 
why don't you come out with your girlfriends and spend a bit of time with me in the summer in, in Hamburg and you can learn that's a bit of German. That's so generous, isn't it? Yeah. That's ridiculously ge- uh, generous. So Simon and his girlfriend went over there, spent a couple of weeks living at Kevin Keegan's place in, Blan- <laughs> in Blankenese, which is a posh suburb of Hamburg. And um, Simon says, the first day, full day they had, Kevin said, right, here's your, let's put some stuff out for breakfast for you. You help yourselves. Here's the key. Come and go as you please. Um, I've got to pop off to training now. Um, I'll be back at about sort of like lunchtime. Um, if you want something to do, I'm trying to lay a patio. <laughs> this is absolutely true. I'm trying to lay a patio out the back. Um, there are the slabs. Help yourself. Here's the cement. Yep. All the bits and pieces you want. Um, if you want to get stuck in, give it a go. So they, they did. But he, Simon is very um, self-effacing man. He said he get the slabs are really heavy slabs and he didn't really know what he was doing. Um, so I think by the time Kevin came back from training, he'd only managed to lay about two slabs. Yeah. And Kevin said, well, that's... You know, good, good, good on you. I'll, I'll crack on and help you a little bit. And then he just like apparently he ran over to where the slabs were piled up, picked two of them up, like that, came back, laid them in about sort of like five minutes flat, and went back for two more. Uh, so uh, apparently he was incredibly impressive at laying a patio like Jake Stewart. What a brilliant story! And most of that did actually go out. Um, <laughs> yes, on, on the but then, feed. So, but here's where it intersects with Kevin Herdenkotz. And this is why he yes. must have picked up on it. Ah, because right, I then right. I then sort of rounded this whole bit of commentary off by saying, um, and I, I wonder whether at that time uh, the the uh, the two Liverpool players, Kenny Dalgleish yes. and and um, Kevin Keegan, uh, whether they were big stars in Belgium because Belgium and uh, Belgium football fans ha- uh, have a tendency like Scandinavians to follow British football clubs as well and I think Liverpool was hugely popular back then in Belgium and I think that it explains why there are quite a high number of Flemish bike riders to this day who are called things like Kenny and Kevin yeah I, I think it's because they're just not they're just not Belgian names are they no they're literally not yeah and I well message him back Kevin and I ask him if he's, he's the old man might have been a Liverpool fan back well, in the day well I tell you what once I've got back to the hotel um, fresh myself up I'll, I'll drop Kevin a text and I'll give you an update on uh, the pod tomorrow yeah All right.